Well, I'm feeling better already. I was getting nervous about Brother Al sitting behind me while I preach. <laughs> I tell you, the good news is um, I, I heard the first of the week that he preached last Sunday. <clears throat> I, um, I always knew that he was a gifted Bible teacher. Uh, and that's a serious note, so don't laugh there. He is a gifted Bible teacher. But I hear that from last Sunday, he is also a gifted preacher. I'm thankful he only raised the roof and then didn't bring the house down. I pulled up right beside the steeple because I saw the damage from last Sunday. I, <laughs> well, I counted a joy to be, to be here. I was talking to... Um, Phil Clegg, just as we were beginning this morning, and uh, we were getting a bearings on where I live. Thought about that a lot. Uh, there's a Boiling Springs, North Carolina. That's not me. I live in Boiling Springs, South Carolina, which is right, right outside of Spartanburg. But the truth is, now Scarlett is here somewhere. Scarlett, are you in here? Where is she? I, I got a bright light on me here. I feel like I'm in Hollywood, so I, I couldn't. Uh, sit, there she is. So I got to be careful what I say here this morning, but uh, uh, she will testify to you. I think that our address is in Boiling Springs, South Carolina. Three of our children, and some of the grandchildren, are in South Carolina. Some of our heart is in South Carolina. But a whole lot of my heart is in North Carolina, right here. And uh, uh, I, must, uh, I must tell you that um, Ridgecrest has a very dear and special place, not just in our heart, but in our life. And um, we love you. I wish we had the opportunity and the time to talk to everybody. Uh, I'll be rushing out of here over to the next service and won't even have time to speak to even some of you then. But just always know that Scarlett and I love you and we're thankful for the years that the Lord gave us here. 24 and a half years and we lived here 25 years. So you think about that in your life and that's a great portion of your life. I am thankful for your pastor. I love your pastor. I'm thankful that uh, he and Pam could have the time to be away on sabbatical. Um, but I'm thankful that your pastor loves me as a former pastor. And um, the Lord opened the door for us to uh, let him be a part of our staff during a number of years of my ministry. And what a wonderful opportunity it was to get to know him. I knew him, but to get to know him in a staff way that way. But it means a lot to me for him to invite me back. I get to come back. Usually, there's not a set thing, but usually about once a year, I have the privilege of coming back. And I'm thankful to him that he does that. He trusts me to be able to come back and be in the service. Brother Al and I have been together and his family for a long time, probably in the late 70s, 78 maybe, I just a guess. And eight, and we, uh, 80, and we became... Uh, friends and we were on staff together and he backslid and went to Miami, I backslid and went to South Carolina and uh, then we got back together here in Durham and 
Brother Al is like a brother to me. He um, don't hold that against me, but he is like a brother to me. <laughs> Shay Reiner, Shay and Linda and their family, very special to Scarlett and I. Be interested to know that Chad, uh, Shay's son-in-law, has been the mentor to my oldest grandson, Caleb, in Clemson while there. And so that's been a real neat thing to see um, one of our young guys that grew up here and married one of our staff members' daughters, and now God be able to use him in ministering to my family by mentoring Caleb. And we're thankful for Shay, his family. Rodney and Gail, I never will forget the night that Scarlett and I had the opportunity to visit in their home when they were really discerning God's will for their life, and then the Lord opened the door for them to come to Ridgecrest, and, and what a joy it was to get to know them. And now Joseph Yandel, an old man now, <laughs> he, is, he is discovering what the honeydew list is, and... Uh, and I'll encourage him to let him know the list gets longer every week. Amen. But uh, Amen. I used to take uh, Joseph to football games with me when Clemson was playing somebody in the area. And I would tell him, I'd say, no, we're pulling for Clemson. But we're having to wear neutral colors. But on the outside, we're going to make the other team think we're pulling for them. And uh, you should see that boy trying to lie at a football game. <laughs> I have um, I've not met Austin in, in your new youth pastor, Austin. I look forward to meeting him, and we're praying that God will use him and his ministry in a great way. This morning, the scripture text is Acts chapter 20. And I am going to be sharing, uh, just personally from my heart, a message entitled, The Life That Lingers. Um, where you start. is not where you usually end. Where you start is not usually where you end. In between the starting point and the ending point is what we call, or I call, many call, the journey. There is a journey from the start to the end. In Acts chapter 20, it's one of the most moving passages of Scripture, I believe, in the Bible. The Apostle Paul is winding down his church planting. He has an intense desire to want to go to Jerusalem. He wants to be there for Pentecost. And so he is hurriedly, the Scripture says, in verse 16 of chapter 20, and he is hurriedly making his way by ship in order that he would eventually be able to get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. But it dawns on him in the midst of the sea travel that he has passed by Ephesus. And when he passed by Ephesus, there was something in his heart that just grabbed a hold of him and suddenly Pentecost did not look so important. He began to think about the people where he had planted the church in Ephesus. He remembered the elders who were there, the leadership. And he instructed the captain of the ship 
to divert course and to pull into the harbor of the nearest port, and that was Miletus. And as the ship came into harbor, he sent someone to bring the elders to Miletus that one more time he might could see them and be with them. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 says, Now, 20 verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he did whatever good preacher is going to do. He preached. It really says he said, but he preached. And he said, you yourselves know. Verses 18 through 21 in the original language is one sentence. Your translation probably has two, maybe three sentences. It is one sentence showing that in one sweeping connection of words, the Apostle Paul shares his heart to these elders. For you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink a nautical term in nautical terminology, it would be a referring to pulling the sails in. The Apostle Paul was a good old-fashioned Baptist preacher. He never set the sails into the wind to go the comfortable way the wind was blowing. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And from there, he continued to unfold and to share with those elders. And as he did that, some people would say, it looks like he's telling them what to do. Well, I guess in a roundabout way, that happens sometimes. But he was really reflecting to some people that he loved so dearly. He was reflecting what his life was from the start as he now approaches the end so they could learn from where he's been and learn from what he has experienced. And so I think that as we look at these verses, that is a valid truth for me. But it's also a valid truth to you who is sitting in the pew. Well, you say, but Pastor Don, I... Um, I, I really am not sure about that because, you know, you've already read and we see that he sent for the elders to come in and I'm not an elder. Well, I, I want to tell you that the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, if you hear me say I do, I'm home now, right? I'm home now. Now listen to what scripture says. I'm going to read this one from the New Living Translation. Remember your leaders who taught you the Word of God. The only kind of ministry and the only kind of church that's going to flourish is going to be a Word-centered church. Do I get another good witness on that? Now listen to what he says. 
Think of all the good that has come from their lives. Watch these next words from the New Living Translation. And follow the example of their faith. Now what that is saying to me and says to you is, there, there is a, a biblical way to describe this. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> is that what your translation says? <laughs> That's paraphrased Don Chastain. Because what is good for the goose, what is good for the elders, is also good for the person in the pew. But I'm going to flip over and show you something that's very touching. When you come to the closing part of chapter 20, look at verse 36. I'm listening for the pages. Well, you've got these devices now, and so I might not hear you device, but verse 36 of chapter 20. Watch carefully. And when he had said these things, I mean, I've not read about all the things in between there in the journey. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with awe. And there was, watch this, and there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. Watch this now. Watch this. Underline it. That they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And I want to tell you that they did not see his face again. They did hear from him again. Because during his first imprisonment, such was the impact of this church plant and these elders on the life of this great preacher of the word that sitting in a prison with a secretary he penned some prison epistles Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon and the letter that he penned to them is called the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was intended to be a circular letter. In other words, it was going to the church at Ephesus, but what is going to be shared in that letter was going to be good for every one of the churches in the area that could get their hands on it. And this morning, guess what? God has put that letter in your hand because it's the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Now, what in the world is Paul feeling in this passage of Scripture? I must be honest and tell you, I know just a teeny weeny little bit of it. Because one of the hardest days of my life was February the 27th of 2011. It was a powerful weekend, but it was my last weekend as pastor of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And so powerful it was that weekend that to this day, to this day, Scarlett has refused to watch 
the DVDs that Brother Al made for me of the Saturday Night Blasting, I mean the Saturday Night Fellowship, <laughs> and the Sunday Morning Worship, where if you remember, my children shared the message. And you may be wondering why I have this notebook. Well, I could be very spiritual and just tell you I was trying to be very academic, but it's because I can't see like I used to. But I have a picture on the front of it. I can't remember if Brother Al sent it to me or Glenda sent it to me. But it's a picture of the worship service when that morning, one of the last things we did was we set apart Mark Francis to be the new pastor of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And for those of you who are not here, it was an awesome, incredible worship experience because we scared the daylights out of him. <laughs> and the way we did it was, I had one son on one side of Brother Mark, another son on the other side of Brother Mark, and I'm standing behind him, and I had this shepherd's crook that Brother Al had been able to help me find, and I'm holding it, and I guess Brother Mark was wondering, are we just going to beat the daylights out of him before we leave? <laughs> but we didn't. My boys proceeded to take his shoes off. Anybody remember that? Yes. Now that would scare me every once in a while because sometimes I have a hole in the toes of my socks. <laughs> but we took the shoes off of his feet. And then my boys did something I, I couldn't even talk after it. My boys washed the feet of this pastor to remind this pastor that the ministry of taking care of the flock of God is a ministry of really understanding what it means spiritually to wash one another's feet. And when it was over, do you know what the longest steps of my life have been? It wasn't when I walked Allison down this aisle to get married. That looked like a long way. It wasn't when uh, Amy walked across that farm back in the last summer. I, almost last summer, almost a year. Hallelujah. Made it a year. And uh, <laughs> she's turned into raising bees and a farm girl and working in the heart unit on her spare time. That's an interesting young lady. But it was a long walk from that beautiful farmhouse to under that big tree. Brother Al, Sister Jean, where she was married. But the longest walk of my life was after this picture was taken. After that picture was taken. Brother Mark, are you okay? I tried to beat the daylights out of him, didn't I? The longest walk of my life was after that picture was taken. I turned and walked across that stage and I came down those steps and my wife came up and took me by the arm and I walked by and I shaked hands with some of the leadership of our church and my kids and, their gran and the grandkids all got up and followed one at a time as we walked down that center aisle of that worship center, the gymnasium. And as I walked and the tears were streaming down my face, I feel it now. I'm, I'm sorry, I feel it now. I walked knowing 
that where I started is not where I was ending. And I didn't like everything I was feeling. Because as I, was, as I would walk, I'd look at certain people. And it didn't help a bit. Because some of you were shedding tears like we were shedding tears. And I've often wondered, was it hallelujah tears or sad tears? But anyway. <laughs> and I peeped over and I saw Arnold and Peggy when I was almost out the door. And I remember saying to myself, I have got to get out of here. Because as a pastor stepping aside from where you've poured your life out for many years, I knew there would be people I would never see again. And that has stood true. The Apostle Paul was feeling that as he was meeting with those elders. What did they learn from him? Very quickly. I know that scares you when I say that. But very quickly. They learned what every elder, every pastor, every spiritual leader had better learn. They learned what you had better learn. From the start to the end of the journey has got to involve some things in the prescription. One of those things was a dependable service. Verses 18 through 19, I'll not read them again, but he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. Verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way. You know what his motivation was? You know what brought about dependable service in this man's life? That the elders are learning and that, that I'm still learning and, and you are still learning. You, you know what it was that, that brought about a, a man that could be noted as as faithful and dependable service. Here's what it is. The book of Ephesians teaches us that he had a heart for worship. Thank you, Brother Al. A heart for worship. We, we've heard it loud and clear. Brother Al's already, he's trying to take over the pulpit now. He, he's already told us about worship. I'm, I'm, that's funny, but it's serious. It was a good truth of what he shared. Paul had a heart for worship. Oh, listen to me. It's not until you have a real heart for worship that you are going to have the right kind of hands for working. Did I get a good witness? You see, out of a, a heart for worship becomes the hands that are ready for working. I think the whole world went to Thailand the past couple of weeks. I mean, I, I got, I, I've been to Thailand. I, I've been to Bangkok. I've been to Krabi. I, I've been there. So I know some of you may have been there. But when I hear that 11 soccer players and a coach are trapped in a cave that's filling up with water, it got my attention. You know how those boys and that coach got out? They got out because of dependable service. Dependable service. You know what the dependable service is? The dependable service is found in a slogan that comes from the special forces and the special force operators. Their slogan is this. 
slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. Slow is smooth. That means you don't try to drink the whole gallon of milk at once. You, you drink a little bit of milk at the time. And then, it, in other words, you start slow to find your way. And then once you have found your way, the first boys that came out are some of the real heroes. You know why? The first boys that came out set the stage for the, for the rescuers to know how to bring the rest of them out. You see, slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. Secondly, they also learned that from the start to the end, the life that is going to linger long after you're gone, when nobody will see you again, is an humble presence. An humble presence. Look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility. Now, now immediately, if you read that too fast, you'll get to humility and forget what the humility is. It says serving the what? Serving the who? Serving the Lord. Now, it didn't just say serving a Lord. The scripture says that one day, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Yezo e kyrios Christos. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the thing that humbles you is when you are in an understanding that you're bowing before the authority of holy God to serve Him. To serve Him. Serving the Lord with all Humility. That word comes from a Latin word that eventually becomes the word humble, which carries the meaning of grounded or from the earth. You see, in reality, humility and a teachable spirit are the same things. I learned early on as a pastor and had to, had to go to take some night courses every once in a while on it. The truth is, be humble or you will stumble. Hello? Be humble or you will, you will stumble. You see, um, pride and humility are so important in this thing called the journey of the Christian life. You see, um, if you think about it, pride breaks down relationships. Pride breaks down relationships. Humility builds up relationships. So many people are strutting their way through life thinking they're God's answer to creation. If you are from start to end going to really have a life that lingers on into the positive on the journey, you've got to get off of your high horse and understand that you're just like clay in the potter's hand, yielded submissively before him, walking an humble life. Thirdly, verse 19, a compassionate heart. You know, I, I don't cry a lot. But sometimes when I'm preaching and I just forget there are people out there. Brother Al's heard me say this for about a hundred years now. When I preach, I never preach to the numbers. 
I just preach to the one. I, 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 I walk in this pulpit because I'm going to take God's word. And with God's word, I want to make sure that I handle God's word appropriately. So I'm going to preach as though God's son sitting right there in front of me. And if I preach like God's son's in front of me, I'm here to tell you that, that I get so intensely involved in the text and so intensely involved in people's struggles that before you know it, even in the midst of preaching, I find myself shedding a tear. I think it's a good thing to shed a tear. Usually we think it comes from physical pain or heart-rending loss and unbearable frustration and discouragement or an intense yearning, or an overwhelming joy. We should learn that serving the Lord means getting so intensely involved in people's struggles that you cry over them. Did Paul do that? Yeah. Verse 19, serving the Lord with humility and with, say it, tears. Say that word, tears. I, I didn't hear you. Tears, a compassionate heart. Where did the tears of Paul show up? Chapter 20, verse 19, there were the tears of a worker. He said, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Verse 34, these hands ministered to my necessities. He was a hard worker. He was a tent maker with Aquila and Priscilla. This guy knew what it was to work with his hands. I mean, he was so intensely involved in the lives of other people that he didn't think he was too good to work. But he was not only a hard worker. He was a heart worker. It's amazing how often his tears are recorded in this verse of Scripture. It came from a heart of worship that led the hands of work. And he just watered the garden of ministry with his tears. The tears of a worker. The tears of a writer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know, watch this, in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, to let you know the depth of my love for you. The tears of a writer. He was a prolific writer. Highly productive. 13 books in the Bible. 14 if you count Hebrews. Now I want to ask you something. Do you think he wrote 13 or 14 books in the Bible, in God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and did it with a joke in his back pocket or with tears on his face. I'll guarantee you, it says that he was a writer with tears. He, the Apostle Paul, was a prolific, he was a passionate writer, expressing strong emotions and strong beliefs. What stronger chapter on love is there other than 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I mean, what stronger chapter in the Bible is there beyond 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he wrote about a thorn in the flesh? Because I've already been asked, on June the 12th, 
of 2018, I celebrated 10 years being cancer-free. Amen. Do you know how I preached 10 years ago on this Sunday? Sitting in a chair right here. There were the tears of a warrior. I've already said he did not shrink back. He stayed to the course. The tears of a witness. Chapter 20, verse 20, from house to house. Chapter 20, verse 31. I never stop warning you, each of you, night and day. Watch this, with tears. Chapter 26, verse 22. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. The tears of a witness. Our faith evangelism teams came in one night. A young man came in from those visits and came right past me into the men's restroom. And I got nervous about him. I asked somebody about him. They said, well, we've just had a, a visit with the family and there was not a response to the gospel. I make my way into the men's restroom and standing in front of a mirror in the men's restroom over here is a young man putting water on his face and wiping his face and getting towels and wiping his face because his heart is crushed and he's shedding tears because the house he just left in was a house where the gospel was shared and nobody would open their heart to receive Jesus. Does anybody recognize who that young man might be? You're right, it was Donnie New. Anybody remember Donnie New? Yes. Yes. Not long after that, would go out to meet Jesus when the sunshine blinded, blinded his eyes on a hill over here early in the morning and hit a garbage truck or something in the back. He immediately, having been blinded by the sun, met the son of Jesus face to face. And when he met Jesus, he met one who knew what it was to have the tears of a witness. A, ted, a steadfast spirit, number four. A steadfast fear, spirit. Verse 19. And with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I am so thankful to God for the grace of God. But along with grace, we need grit. The Apostle Paul, under extreme pressure, never gave up and he never gave way. A clear conscience. A clear conscience? Yes, look at verse 35. In all things I have shown you. In all things I've shown you? What, what's, what's going on right here? Uh, I, I'll tell you what's going on. He had a clear conscience. In all things I've shown you. You see, he's saying, my life are my lessons on how to lead. Can you and I say, can you, we're going to shut it down here in a minute, but listen, can you and I say, my life is my lessons on how to live. That's what he means when he says, in all things I have shown you. Now you know why he says it like that? 
He knows that in saying that, he's got to be honest. You know why he's got to be honest? Because for three years, he lived with them, and they saw him in the morning. They saw him at noon. They saw him at night. They saw him in the good times, saw him in the bad times. And when he said that, they knew what he said was right on. His life was his lessons. Sure need more time with you this morning, but I, I can handle it. Scarlett and I, we're back in Dollywood. You know, I know some of you thought after I got stranded on the roller coaster and had to be rescued, I wouldn't go back. But I did. <laughs> I did go back. And I, and I rode the, the wild eagle again and made it. We were in Dollywood. It was June the 10th of this year. We were sitting at... Now, y'all are going to be blessed by this because it's not close enough to dinner for it to bother you yet, but we were sitting out on the patio of Miss Lillian's Chicken House. Does that ring a bell? Anybody been to Miss Lillian's Chicken House? Well, you got to go, but you got to go to Dollywood to get there. <laughs> but we're sitting on the patio, and we're, we're having a, a late lunch, early dinner, and there's this family sitting out under some trees there at Dollywood. And there's a mother, and she's got her device, and there's a little boy about four years old in a stroller, and he keeps throwing something they'd give him on the ground. And there's his older brother, like about nine years old. And the mother's making him pick it up every time, pick it up every time. And finally, the little boy just got fed up having to pick up the other little boy out of the stroller every time he threw it down. And he jumped up and just got real mean to the, didn't hit him, just verbally told him to quit throwing it down. And the woman was on the device, could have stopped all of it. But in the background was her husband who was making his way back to where they were, was now watching what he thought was the whole story, but he hadn't seen the whole story. He saw just enough to kind of, I started to say light his fuse. Well, I'll say it, to light his fuse. So he, he's making his way to where it's all happening. And when he gets there, it's a good thing I wasn't a police officer. When he gets there, he grabs that little nine-year-old boy up by the arm, jerks him up and pops him up the side of the face. You know what? My dad raised me with a pat on the back. High when I did well. Low when I did bad. But I never had ever to worry about my dad slapping me. Boy, my blood pressure went up. I thought I was going to have a stroke. I, I was so upset, but that was mild to what happened next. He had on a black T-shirt, and he looked like he was probably about 35 years old. Finally, he gets his hands around the stroller. Wife gets off of her device, and the little boy that got jerked up, I mean, he just, man, he's cowered down. I mean, he, is, he, he has no self-concept at all right then. And they turn to walk off. And when they turn to walk off, this is what was on the back of the father's black shirt. In big yellow letters, I am a veteran like my dad. I hope not. I am a veteran like my... I believe if veterans had have seen that, they might would have had a little prayer meeting with him. <laughs> Clear conscience. A joyful finish. A joyful finish. Verse 35, in all things I've shown you, verse 24, however I consider my life worth nothing to me, 
If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. The New King James Version reads it like this. Listen carefully. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. A joyful finish. You know what my prayer has always been? The prayer that uh, one of my boys said to me many years ago, young and younger in ministry. One of my boys said to me, after a pastor had had a major misconduct thing in his life that my boys were aware of, one of my boys said, Dad, you started strong. I pray you finish well. You started strong. I pray you'll finish well. The greatest joy of my life is going to be when at my funeral, Brother, Brother Al has to sing, Ring Those Golden Bells. That's the hardest one in the world to sing. I picked it out. <laughs> but knowing him, he'll probably get up and sing Jingle Bells. <laughs> the greatest joy in my life is going to be when I stand before Jesus. What Greg Laurie said is going to be true. Jesus is not going to say, well done, my good and successful servant. Jesus is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to tell you something. The only thing good about me is Jesus. The only thing good about me is one day I met Jesus and everything that was wrong with me, he covered it in his blood. And then I discovered, like you di you're discovering and have discovered, if you're listening, say, I am. I am. I'm finished. Don't miss this. If God only used perfect people, nothing would ever get done. He delights on all of us in our start, on the journey to the end, meeting Jesus, so that all things are made right. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Use it powerfully in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.